Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our meditation today is taken from the book of Romans chapter 8. Listen again to verse 28. Paul writes and says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So far, our text. Serendipity, that is our word for today. Serendipity, do you know what that word means? I'll have to confess that I did not, not really. And that might be because while I was growing up in uh, Eagle River, Wisconsin, there was a tavern of ill repute with the name the Serendipity. And I'll just say that if your name was associated with the serendipity, well, you probably were not a candidate for sainthood. Actually, the word was coined by an author by the name of Horace Walpole way back in 1750, who took it from a Persian fairy tale called The Three Princes of Serendip. And I know, I know, that's, that's useless information unless you're ever a contestant uh, on Jeopardy!, Come on now, pastor, cut to the chase. What does the word serendipity mean? All right, well, Webster defines serendipity this way, finding valuable or agreeable things not sought for. Most often the word is used to describe positive discoveries that come from not-so-positive events. For example, you broke your leg in a car accident, but fell in love with the nurse at the hospital. That's serendipity. Or your family was imprisoned at home for three months during the height of the pandemic, but you had a lot of fun together and became closer than ever before as a family. Or, or you had to go to summer school uh, during high school, but you met a teacher who inspired you and changed the course of your life forever. That's serendipity. When straight out of the blue, something bad turns into something awfully good. So, here's my question. Do you believe it? Do you believe in serendipity? Are you a serendipitous person? Well, you are if you are a Christian. Absolutely you are. For example, the Apostle Paul was serendipitous from head to toe and from stem to stern. Look at our text. What does Paul say? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, you love God, don't you? Of course you do. You're baptized. God made you part of his family. You know, and I've heard you confess your faith and your love for God a hundred times. And when you love God, you trust that when this sinful world or your sinful self makes your life miserable, the same God who created all things from nothing can cause good to come from a not-so-good situation. Serendipity. Here, let me show you something now. In our text, the Greek word for work together, you know, all things work together for good, 
The Greek word for work together is synergeo. You know, synergeo, it's a root word for the English word synergy. It's also the root for the word synod, you know, like Missouri synod. Synergeo means to engage in an activity with someone else to work or to walk together. Do you see how great this is? It means that you're never alone. Even when it feels like nobody else cares. You know, it means that uh, uh, when you think it, that it's you against the big bad world out there, it's just not true. God loves you, and you love God back. On your worst day or on your best day, God just doesn't walk by your side. He also has the love and the power to turn the pain that sin causes in your life inside out, upside down, turning the painful things into something good. But there's more. One afternoon, a little boy tried to put together his birthday present that he'd received from his father. It was a picture puzzle. He tried his best, but the little guy just couldn't you know, match up the puzzle pieces with all their different you know, sizes and shapes and colors. And frustrated, he put all the pieces back into the box and, and gave it back to his father and said, I can't do it, you try. And the boy watched with amazement as his dad quickly put uh, the puzzle pieces all together in just only a few minutes. You see, his father explained, I saw the picture in the puzzle, but you saw only the pieces. In our text, Paul tells us that God causes all things to work together for good. And, and those things, those are the events in your life. Those are the pieces. But then Paul explains how those things work together for the good, according to God's purpose, according to the picture that God has painted of your life, the plan that God has for your life. And when God walks with you day in and day out, it's never aimless walking. Your life will unfold according to the plan that God has for you. And if sin tries to interrupt that plan, and that's what sin tries to do uh, every single day, God will squeeze something good even out of sin's worst effort. But there's more, you see, because not only does God have a plan for you, his plan for you has always included Jesus Christ. In fact, think about it, the most powerful act of serendipity in your life is the cross and empty tomb of Jesus. I mean, a Roman cross was horrible, was a horrible way to die. I mean, Good Friday was definitely not good for Jesus, but it was good for you. Your sins paid in full. Your sins erased with perfect blood. You know, and a cemetery and a grave, they are never good things unless that grave is empty on Easter morning. The worst thing that sin could ever do to you is death. You will die one day. I will die one day. But you won't stay dead. It's serendipitous. 
Death turned into forgiveness on Easter morning. Grave turned into life and glory and joy and heaven and a victory that will never, ever end. Do you realize how powerful God's serendipity is? I guarantee you that the very first readers of Paul's letter, our text today, they did realize it, and it blew their minds. You know, one of those poosh moments. You see, those folks lived in the city of Rome in 55 A.D., do you know what the population of the city of Rome was in 55 A.D.? 1.5 million people. Do you know how many of that same population in Rome were slaves? 500,000 men, women, and children were slaves. So the church in Rome was probably made up of house churches, five or six house churches, people worshiping in their homes like we've done so much uh, ourselves lately. And when they received Paul's letter, then they passed that letter from house to house. How many then of those churches, those church houses, how many were slaves or former slaves? Easily two-thirds. So put yourselves in the sandals of those slaves. Because what else does Paul tell them uh, in this text? In verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Say what? I mean, these people, well, they, they knew all about conquerors. You know, they lived it every single day. You know, you want to talk about conquerors, the Roman Empire uh, was almost a thousand years old. And in that time, during that millennium, the empire fought in 309 battles. They lost 148 times. And you say, well, gee, that's not such a great batting uh, percentage. That's almost, you know, just 50%. But most of those losses happened at the beginning of the empire. And then at the end of the empire, when everything was falling apart, there's about a 600-year stretch where the Roman armies almost never lost a battle. When Julius Caesar boasted, I came, I saw, I conquered, it wasn't just bravado, it was fact. And to those slaves, you know, the Roman Empire was indomitable, unstoppable, mighty, with a capital M, a juggernaut that could not be beaten. And what does Paul say to them? What does Paul say to those Christian slaves? You know, some of them still slaves gathered in those house churches. Through your God and because of Jesus Christ, Paul says, you are more than conquerors. And by the way, the Greek word that Paul uses for conqueror here means ultimate conqueror. Supreme conqueror, the conqueror of conquerors. Paul says, you folks, you slaves, you are mightier than all the armies, the legions, the generals, the soldiers, the spears, the swords, the chariots of the juggernaut. And why not? God loves you. 
and you love him back. God walks by your side every day, watching over you, turning evil into good. And God has a plan for your life. And according to that plan, he sent his son Jesus to buy you back from your sins uh, with a cross. He sent Jesus to free you from the worst possible chains, the worst kind uh, of slavery. And so God's son defeated death for you on an Easter dawn, and you won't stay dead either. Do you hear what Paul is saying uh, to those people? In baptism, God's made you part of his family. Forget about the Romans. You are far mightier than they. God has made you part of his empire now. And in God's empire, you won't dwell for a mere 1,000 years. No, you will live with God in his empire, at his side, in his arms, forever and ever. Amen. Do you think that those Roman Christians, those slaves, were blown away by Paul's work? Oh, they were blown away, all right. And you should be blown away, too. Serendipity. It's much more than a seedy tavern back in Eagle River, Wisconsin. It's a word that Paul would have gladly made his own. It describes God's love for you. His walking by your side in thick and thin. The joy that God takes in squeezing something good out of life's sinful and painful moments. It's a word really that reveals you're not so different from those Christians, those slaves that Paul was writing to in our text, because through Jesus Christ, God has made you more than conquerors too. Amen. And the peace in Christ that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.